save the date, the 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org The concept of human dignity is one much debated. No one denies human dignity, or very few deny human dignity. You have to go pretty far out of the fringe to find some academic who thinks they're being cute in doing so. But we really do debate the human part of that human dignity. To whom do we apply this intrinsic worth that we call human dignity? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Friday, January the 27th, Pastor Michael Selimink joins us to talk about Lutheranism and human dignity. He's executive director of Lutherans for Life and author of a column for the Logia Journal titled A Lutheran View of Human Dignity. Michael, welcome. Good day, Todd, and the Lord be with you. And with you as well. How is the idea of human dignity faring in American culture today? It's actually a lively concept. Human dignity is used to undergird discussions about everything from racism to human rights to immigration, but there are a wide variety of different perspectives on what is encompassed by human dignity and who it applies to. Obviously, it's an important category for us as Christians because we believe in the uniqueness of human beings as creatures. And so with that wide variety of perspectives and a lot of different ideas as to what it is about, it's a hot topic. How have organizations like the United Nations responded to past assaults on human dignity? Well, the United Nations was founded in part to sort of militate against or prevent the atrocities of World War II. And so its, its charter includes in the very first sentence that it is exists to reaffirm faith in the dignity and worth of the human persons. And one of its first activities uh, in 1948, three years after the United Nations was founded, was the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that is still very much in circulation today. It has served as the basis for a lot of human rights treaties and nations' constitutions. And so the, the United Nations, at least on the books, is very interested in maintaining the dignity of the human person, although how the United Nations defines who qualifies as a human person today is up for dispute. The United Nations in our time undermines, I think, the concept, the broader concept of human dignity by its support for uh, what they call reproductive rights or abortion services and contraception. Give us a history of the concept of human dignity. It really goes all the way back uh, to the beginnings of Western thought. Classical philosophers like Aristotle or Cicero for the Romans talked about human dignity being a sort of category that distinguishes human beings from the beasts. They located human dignity, I think, primarily in rational capacity. But then throughout the Enlightenment era, after the Reformation, the period of 
flourishing of philosophers such as John Locke and Thomas Hobbes and Immanuel Kant, they all talked about human dignity as a special capacity that human beings had that gave them a, a respect, a value maybe even that other creatures did not have, tied it directly to human rights and human freedoms. But again, closely connected with the idea of irrationality, so located in man's ability to think. What did Christianity do to improve the concept of human dignity? Well, Christianity adds to the concept of human dignity the unique distinction of imago dei, the image of God that it inherits from Judaism. The idea that human beings, more so than any other creature, have been created to reflect the image of of who and how God is. Christianity also with its doctrine of the incarnation, right? The the personal union of the divine and human natures in Jesus Christ, I think elevated human dignity even further beyond what Judaism or classical philosophy had done, because now human dignity is not just difference from the animals, it is similarity to the creator. Early Christianity especially put this into practice by extending human dignity to classes of persons that the surrounding cultures did not. For example, unborn children or even infants, slaves, people of different ethnicities, women. Christianity intentionally elevated the status and respect for those people groups specifically because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the image of God. How does Lutheran theology and a Lutheran worldview clarify human dignity? With the the old distinction between grace and works. For Lutherans, what makes a human person valuable is the way that God has joined us to himself through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But then what God does for us, what God invests in creating and redeeming and calling each human being to be his own precious treasure from fertilization to forever, uh, that is what gives every human life its value, its specialness, its respect, and not any ability of a human being. Nothing about our age, our appearance, our size, our skills, or circumstances, which makes the Lutheran understanding of human dignity entirely distinct from the classical philosophical understanding, but also from the Enlightenment understanding of rational capacity as the foundation of human dignity. We might say that a human being's capability for moral reflection, creative thinking, memory, empathy, etc., those reflect the dignity that God has invested in us, but they do not create it. And so that's a lot firmer foundation for our understanding of why we show love to our neighbors, why we take care of our own bodies, why we assume that even those who appear to be impaired have a basic human dignity that we don't want to violate, even though we can't see it. And that is, that is a firm foundation that I think the Lutheran understanding of salvation by grace through faith, justification, not by works, grants to the concept of human dignity, and one that is very relevant to our culture's conversations, not just about human dignity as an abstract category, but about particular sanctity of life issues like surprise pregnancy or terminal diagnosis. 
What's the danger of grounding human dignity in human capacities? The real danger is that it ends up excluding, in one way or another, almost every member of the human race. In other words, when human dignity has to be attributable to a capacity like intellect or creativity, or when it is perceived on a scale or a range like people who are capable of a certain amount of self-sustenance, they qualify for human dignity. That excludes people who don't meet that measure. And who is the person or the people who get to define what that measure is, right? That definition always comes from the people who are decision makers, the people in power. But we know throughout human history that the people in power change. And if we have established a system or a framework in which the people in power get to make the decisions about who and who does not qualify for the respect that's due because of human dignity, then one day we're not going to be the people in power and uh, we'll be on the losing end of that deal. It is, I think, incumbent upon us to make the definition of human dignity as inclusive and broad as possible so that it really is synonymous with the word human right? So membership in the human race entitles each member to human dignity. We've seen throughout the course, especially of the 20th century, the, the awful atrocities that have been perpetrated because of defining human dignity on the basis of a human capacity or some other characteristic about a person. And I'm not just thinking of the Holocaust, I'm also thinking of other genocides, but also the tragedy and trauma of abortion that has resulted in the deaths of over 1 billion human beings since the 1970s worldwide. And there is a, a demographic reckoning that we're dealing with related to that, but I think also a moral reckoning now that we are seeing that because we have allowed for a viewpoint where human dignity, human value and worth and purpose has become based on some capacity that human beings have, it's sort of a free-for-all struggle to talk about whose rights supersede the rights of who else. And that really makes it difficult for human community and collaboration and impairs our ability to flourish and enjoy all the blessings that God has promised to us as a special class of creature that bears his image. Pastor Michael Salamink is our guest, Executive Director of Lutherans for Life. What does the biblical creation account teach us about our dignity before God? We'll answer that question next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with Ask, Seek, Knock, Jesus and Beelzebub, and Keep It, Sign of Jonah, and The Light in You. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the new Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The new Concordia Commentary on John 7-2 to 12-50. Defending Life, 
from beginning to end. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Word of God, Daily Worship, Lutheran Hymnody and Catechesis, Instruction in Phonics, Traditional Math, Literature, Grammar, History, Latin and Strings. It's all part of our daily life here at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. St. Paul is seeking teaching candidates for the 2023-24 school year. Learn more at school at stpaulhamel.org. Consider joining the faithful faculty at the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. School at stpaulhamel.org. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org slash conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. Ad Crucem is your one-stop online store for beautiful, high-quality Christian greeting cards, jewelry, posters, fine art, church banners, and more. See what I'm talking about at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. We're discussing Lutheranism and human dignity with Pastor Michael Salamink. Michael, what does the biblical creation account teach us about our dignity before God? Well, just the magnificence, right? In the first five and a half days of creation, God demonstrated that he has the power to create by his word alone. He does not need to lift a finger that he can simply speak. And as the syllables roll out of his mouth, they materialize into the thing he wills it to be. But when it comes to creating humankind, God changes his method. He slows way down and instead forms the man out of the dust of the ground, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and then performs the world's first surgery to form woman out of the flesh of man. In this way, investing a great deal of time, care, attention, and intimacy in the process of creating human beings, something that the psalmist, I think, understands when when he echoes that in Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. God takes nine whole months instead of just snapping his fingers to create every human being. What that demonstrates to us is that God likes to create human beings. This is what brings him joy. In the words of, you know, St. Augustine, the father of Western Christianity, O Lord, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. God continues to be the decisive factor in the existence of human beings today. We know this to be true because there are couples sometimes who do everything in their power to procreate and yet they are not able because God has not granted it. On the other hand, there are sometimes couples who do almost everything in their power to not procreate a human being. They conceive anyway because God has willed it to be so. So God's continuous, intimate, meticulous involvement in making each human being by hand in the words of the scriptures is a privilege that he does not grant to any other structure or creature in all of nature, not even to the angels themselves. The author of the the book of Hebrews makes it very clear um, that because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the creation, the, the act of creation, 
in such an intimate and meticulous way that that God has given human beings a status that's even superior to that of the angels. And so I think that that is something as Christians that we take very seriously and it shows in the way that we treat our neighbors. How does the incarnation of Jesus Christ elevate human dignity? In the sense that God does not become incarnate as any other creature. Not only this, God does not become incarnate as a full-grown man. He becomes incarnate as a human being from the beginning, sanctifying every stage of existence and development that human beings pass through. Again, Jesus could have come into the world in a more impressive way than he did, perhaps with uh, fanfare of angels and detachment of Sherman tanks and cannons. Maybe everybody would be Christian today if he had chosen to do it that way. But the message that God had for humankind is your worth and purpose comes from the fact that I have chosen you as a race to be united to me in a special way and to share as heirs in the enjoyment and administration of all that I have created, my entire kingdom and the whole universe. Not only that, but then after Jesus finishes his work of atonement on the cross, he is resurrected, comes back with his human body, and then ascends into heaven to sit down at the right hand of God to elevate our humanity to the highest place in all of God's kingdom. All of that taken together means that even for those who never come to faith by the Holy Spirit in Jesus, understanding him as their savior and God as their heavenly father, they still enjoy a status um, that is superior to any of the other entities or beings in all of the universe. Um, and that's something that Jesus himself takes very seriously. You say that these two dignity-giving activities, that is creation and the incarnation, generate a third, the Father's creating and the Son's incarnating, aim at the Holy Spirit's incorporating. What do you mean by that? Well, quite simply, what St. Paul expresses so eloquently in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are created as human beings to be temples of the Holy Spirit. That is, God does not just wish to dwell in one human being that is the person of Jesus Christ individually, although his dwelling in the body of Jesus Christ is a special way. But he does intend for that to become a pattern and for his spirit to take up residence in our human bodies. Again, not just in our minds or in our hearts, but in our bodies, our lives, our relationships, such that we may be able to say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. All those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Uh, it's very sacramental the way that God puts his life and all of the, the privileges and powers that pertain to that into our bodies through the ingesting the body and blood of Jesus Christ, receiving that by mouth so that we understand that we have a very real uh, corporal connection to God through his Holy Spirit, but then he incorporates us into his family, makes us heirs of the new heavens and the new earth so that we can say, I am a child of God. And he can declare, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In a very real sense, humankind are the royalty of the age to come. And it is the father's love for the son 
in begetting him and the son's love for the father in submitting to him and becoming human, atoning for our sins, for the justification of the entire human race. That love generates the Holy Spirit who then brings that love of God and that life of God to each one of us. So there's a a threefold dignity that's given to every human being that God aims for us to be dwelling places, temples for his Holy Spirit. We're talking to Pastor Michael Salomink of Lutherans for Life about a Lutheran view of human dignity. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. Be sure to enroll military members of your family or congregation in 2023 for the Ministry by Mail program. Military members receive a welcome packet with spiritual resources, including portals of prayer. Learn more at lcms.org slash armed forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. On the other side, how is this view of human dignity categorically different from all others? Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. LutheranPublicRadio.org. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. And if you enjoy the relevant Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaullutheranwildwood.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about Lutheranism and human dignity with Pastor Michael Salomink, Executive Director of Lutherans for Life. He's author of a column for Logia Journal titled, A Lutheran View of Human Dignity. So, Michael, how is human dignity grounded in the triune God's activity categorically different from every other attempt to find a basis for it? Like we said before, the distinction between grace and works, and this is something that Lutherans understand, I think, more keenly and intuitively than almost anyone else, because it's such an important framework for our reading of the Word of God. Every other framework for human dignity is based on some capability that a group of human beings has. It's a a generalization based on looking at the human being and then abstracting from that to a wider class of human beings. The Trinitarian activity of God in grace, what he does for human beings in creating and redeeming and incorporating, that's an entirely different direction, right? Our dignity comes from above. It is given to us rather than being derived from us. So while we agree with philosophers that human dignity is certainly reflected or evidenced or manifested in 
the undertakings and accomplishments of human beings. It is not exhausted in that. And even human beings who are not capable of any of those measurable undertakings or accomplishments still bear the image of God and receive the dignity that he gives. Think of, for example, the tiniest embryo in a Petri dish or in mother's womb who doesn't even have distinguishable arms or legs or or a brain, so to speak of, or the hospital patient who is incapacitated and, and uncommunicative toward the end of life and cannot demonstrate any kind of autonomy understanding God as the source and the guarantee of human dignity includes them in the respect that is due to every human being. And I find that to be a a joyful and a hopeful message and one that opens a doorway for connecting to the gospel of Jesus Christ in language that is already familiar to the culture of today. Talk about this reality of human dignity and the second table of the Ten Commandments. So if we believe, as God's word declares and his acts of grace portray, that every human life is his precious treasure, then we understand that we also receive each one of our neighbors as a gift and a privilege. Every person that we come into contact with, God has placed into our lives so that they may enrich our experience of his creation and so that we may enrich theirs. The intent, of course, is that every one of those neighbors that we receive as a gift and a privilege, by God's grace and the activity of his Holy Spirit, we may also join with as a brother and a sister to share in all the blessings of eternity. That has implications for the way that we treat those persons. The least we can do is, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not covet, honor the authority and the dignity of the people around you. That's an entry point into receiving and celebrating each one of our neighbors as a gift and a privilege and seeing ourselves as servants who can be a blessing to them which builds community that leads toward the family of the body of Christ. But as we, I think that the second table of law especially gives us the contours for how do we respect and identify the dignity of the persons around us. And those, you know, last seven commandments, they seem so simple and perhaps they are simple to understand, but so rich in the way that we may carry them out as reflections of the way that God loves each one of us. Finally, how does this view of human dignity inform the Christian's thinking and activity regarding the current assaults on human dignity? I hope that by now that much is obvious, right? It means that um, in the context of cultural debates about abortion access, that Lutherans, that Christians have a distinctive voice to bring, that instead of proceeding in anger and fear, we can bring a message of joy and hope, one that has no debate about which human abilities best give evidence to whether or not this creature can be classified or qualify as a human being, but one that receives each one as as a gift and a privilege and not just the adorable newborn child, but also the mothers and fathers who are dealing with a lot of conflict, trauma, uncertainty, in some cases, sinfulness, that we can see them as gifts and privileges 
too, and recognize that the way that we order the common good and public interest when it comes to matters of abortion access is going to have an effect on situations that don't seem to be as closely connected. The same is true when we think about euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide at the end of life. When we think about the welfare of the person who is comatose or those whom even the medical profession diagnosis as in a persistent vegetative state. We ought to find that particular phrase to be patently offensive, right? Offensive to human dignity to describe a human being as comparable to an inanimate object, right? A vegetable. But even people who have been given that designation, either by the medical establishment or by by the surrounding culture, we see ourselves in their condition, right? Jesus says in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And St. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter two, it is God who wills and works in you according to his good pleasure. So all of us are helplessly dependent upon the mercy of our Heavenly Father. Some of us just can't see that as clearly. All of us suffer brokenness, impairment, and limitation in our flesh. Um, It's just that some of those categories or manifestations of brokenness are prioritized for attention by the culture. Christians view things much more broadly and clearly, I think, as we intercede for the endangered and vulnerable among us, the language of our Lord, the least of these, recognizing that he has called them brothers and sisters by his incarnation and his atonement. And so we see each one as a gift and privilege, and and we want to advocate for that very clearly because it is the conversation about human dignity is perhaps the most important one when it comes to the future of human civilization. And that means that we meet it right where the opposition is the greatest, right where the issue is the most pressing, and there we may proclaim the most loudly and delightfully the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Michael Salamink is executive director of Lutherans for Life and author of a column for the Logia Journal titled A Lutheran View of Human Dignity. Find out more about Lutherans for Life at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Michael, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity and the joyful conversation. God continue to bless issues, etc. Pastor Chris Rosebro joins us on the other side of the break of Fighting for the Faith. Our feature this week in Pop Christianity Today, megachurch pastor Andy Stanley on Gay Christians. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, 
nor his city groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash city mission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. simplyclassical.com. Have you ever wished you could see Ad Crusom's products before buying them? Well, you can. Come visit us at our workshop in Littleton, Colorado, and watch how we make our Christmas ornaments and print our icons. Check out the quality and fabric of our church banners, or choose some greeting cards, posters, or jewelry. Of course, if you can't make it to Colorado, we're always open online. For details and directions, visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. <laughs> 